we really need in a sea of churches? Another church? I don't think so. I think what we need is a movement of God. Brace for impact. Well, welcome, gang, to a brand new movement of God called Impact Church. Good to have you guys here. That was awesome praise and worship, too. I don't know if you noticed. I don't know how you could have missed noticing, but we have the makings of a, a, just a praise and worship band, just the talent that God has assembled. And by the way, some of these people moved here for Impact. I mean, they uprooted their, uh, their homes, their families, and everything, and moved here just for what they believe God's going to do here. And there's enough talent on that stage. It looks like we've been worshiping for five years. But this is day one. Maybe you're not aware of this. If you were to look in the yellow pages right now today, well, it's probably even gone up because we did this a couple of months ago, and just count. Take your little calculator out and count the number of churches that are in Charlotte. You're gonna come up with over 1,100. So we got churches, right? We don't have a lot of movements of God. I'm gonna show you the difference today. I think most people want their lives to make a difference, and I think most people want to make an impact, so today you'll see that it's just because you want it doesn't automatically happen, but if you really do want it, it can happen. By show of hands, who wants to make an impact with their life? Who? All right, I would say that's 95%, and so there's 5% of you going, oh, oh, good grief, I don't want to make an impact with my life. I don't want anybody to know I'm even here on this planet. I want to fly under the radar. I want to be gone. I want to be, I want people to not even know I was so-and-so's kid. That's it. No, no, I've actually never met that guy, that gal. I've never met anybody that doesn't want to make an impact for their life. In fact, since I've been a Christian, I, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ when I was seven years old. But as I got older, the biggest fear I had is that my life wouldn't count for him because we were made to make an impact for God. And so if you're not making an impact for God, then you're not who God made you to be. So I want my life to count, and I've never met anybody that doesn't. Well, now, I've looked at lives, and I've looked at some of the corny decisions and dumb decisions we often make as human beings, that it looks like some people have as their goal to not make an impact or to make a bad impact with their life, but I've never met anybody that listed. I've never met anybody that takes a piece of paper out and said, you know, I really need to work on this. If I want to be a zero, it's going to take work. So step one, make sure that I dress in a way that nobody even sees me. Discover invisibility. I mean, I want to be a wallflower. I want to blend in. I want, when I die, for people to say, was he even ever there? I've met anybody that does that, but again, sometimes our lives end up that way. Most people that I've met want to have an impact with their life. They want their life to count. In fact, most people, I think, deep down, even if they don't say it publicly, they'd say, I'm shooting to make at least some impact. I'm shooting to make at least something out of my life, but I'm concerned. You see, if you look at, let, let's take it this way. If you look at the target or the bullseye, the thing they, they say they're shooting at in their life, I think for a lot of us, we're going to find an empty target that looks like it hasn't even been used. Looks like it hasn't even been used. There's no bullet holes. There's no arrow holes on it. So we're saying that that's what we're shooting for, and we're going, you're either a really bad aim or you're really not shooting for that because there's nothing to indicate that that really matters to you. Now, in Christianity, we seem to be able to hit the edges. I mean, we seem to be able to do cheap imitations, kind of of the world, cheesy type stuff, but by and large, we miss the mark. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Pastor Rob, you're starting off kind of harsh. We've got some new people here, so let them know how God gives you an A for effort. I mean, if you just try, it doesn't even matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter what you do. God's up there going, I am so glad that you worship the frog king at least you're trying. There is no frog king, but, but, but you seem sincere, so I'm letting you in. I'm going to give you at least a B plus, A minus for effort. Actually, he's not going to do that. In fact, God has a word for that, and it's not A for effort. It's called sin. You know, when we miss the mark with our lives, he calls it sin. Some of you are going, I thought sin was sin, and sin is like the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Interestingly enough, if I asked you all to list what you think is sin, I'd get a couple hundred different lists from you. Everybody's got a different list. Some of you go, I play it safe, give you the 10, the 10 commandments. But there's more than that. There's even more that's on the 10 commandments. Did you know that sin doesn't even involve a list? Sin isn't a list of, of supposedly bad things. The literal word for sin, since the, the, uh, the New Testament was written, 
in Koinine or New Testament Greek, it's a word, harmatia. It's actually an athletic term. It's, a, it's an archery term. Talking about bullseyes, it means when they used to practice uh, archery, you know, and when that was the, the weapon of, of choice for hitting targets and hitting people in war far away, they'd practice that. If they were shooting for a target and missed the bullseye, you know what they would say? I sinned. I harmatia, I sinned. It means I, I missed the mark what I was shooting for. And if that's the literal word for sin, you know what it means? It means anything that misses God's mark, which is perfection, his glorious ideal, is actually sin. Now that seems harsh, but don't you want to know the truth? That's God's definition of sin. So that's kind of the bad news right there. That means anything that misses perfect is sin, then what chance do we have? The chance we have is much better. That means you don't have to jump up and down and jump through hoops and jump high enough to get God to notice you. You can't because harmatia, you've sinned, you've missed the mark. But through Jesus Christ, who never sinned, if you embrace him as your Lord and Savior, he paid the price for you. He stood in the gap for us. Then when God the Father looks at you, he'll see his son and the sacrifice if you embrace it. More about that later, but that's very, very important that we get that. Now, the Bible says in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Okay, so there's no A for effort. If you are not on God's side living his purposes, even if you think you're neutral, you're a good person, God says, I'm going to count you as against me because there's only with me or against me. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral. So we need to be honest with ourselves this morning. Are we making an impact or not with our lives? That's a question I'm gonna ask you a lot. Are you just dreaming and talking? Are you just saying it like Americans like to do? Hey, what's your priorities? God, family, and work. God, apple pie, Chevrolet. Those are my, I mean, we have, we have, we can regurgitate the stuff, but are we really living that? Is that really what we're shooting for? Is that really what matters? Oh, by the way, there's a way to know, right? Hey, how many of you have ever, how many of you ever been to a shooting range? Any of you ever been to a shooting range? That's a lot of you. You know, it was 100% of the first service. That's where all the rednecks were. And the, uh, you know, the people that don't, you know, that's where they're all in here carrying concealed weapons. So they've been there, right? So, you know, if you've been to a shooting range or so, I've heard. If you go there, the instructor's going to have the target out there and you're shooting. They're going to pull it back, you know, on that line. And they're going to let you see it. And, and you may, if, if there's nothing on there, I don't care if you were standing in there shooting. That gun's either empty or you're hitting the floor or it's ricocheting everywhere. But if you see that thing and there's nothing on the bullseye and barely anything, then you don't get an A for effort. You just missed. You just blew it. And you can say, but I, I hit it. I, I know I did because how do you know? Well, I know I was aiming for that. That's what I was looking at. That's what I wanted to hit. But they're going to look at that thing and go, it doesn't really matter. You didn't hit it. For whatever reason, you didn't hit it. Now, how do you know this in real life? Because some people say, I want to put God first and family second and all that stuff. Well, you know there's a target you look at your life. There's a couple of them. Give them to you real quick. You can look at your checkbook, and you can see where you're aiming your money. I mean, if you see, man, there's a lot of stuff for missions and, and for helping God's kingdom grow and for the church. I mean, obviously, you are hitting God first. You are. I mean, it, it proves it by the target. But if everything's all toys and trinkets and vacations and fun and everything for you, then you're just saying you're aiming at God as the center of your life. You're really not. And you can also look at your daily planner, whether you have a physical one you write in or, a, or an iPad or something, you put it on there. Look where you are aiming your time. Because time and money, those are the two things that are the most valuable to us that we can spend. So where are you aiming that stuff? If all the time you spend is, man, I go to church like once a month and then everything else is all for me, well, then God's not number one. Okay, so we can talk and Americans love to do that. We love to put an image out there, but God's interested in what's really happening in your heart. So, most of you raised your hand, but 5% of you didn't, but most of you said, I want to make an impact. Pay attention today. You can. In fact, you're expected to, and I will show you how. First of all, there's several reasons why I think we think we're aiming at stuff and we're not making an impact. One, you, we think as Americans, especially in American evangelicalism, that we can just fire away at stuff, all religions, all roads, whatever, and haphazardly, we'll hit something and God will be happy. I think I've already shown you that's not the case. Sometimes it's that we don't know how to aim. Sometimes it's that nobody's really taught us about Scripture. No one's really discipled us. No one's really shown us the way. So we think we know how to aim, but we're aiming at all the wrong stuff. And finally, maybe there's no power of God in our life. Our gun, our weapon of choice, or whatever we're trying to make an impact, it's not even loaded. So let's talk about these things. I'll ask you again, question, what are you aiming at? Is your life making an impact? You want it to, 95% of you, raise your hand. What are you aiming at? Before you leave here today, you're going to know exactly, not what you want to be aiming at, not what you think you're aiming at, you're going to know exactly what you have been aiming at. You'll have a chance to change it. Now, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. 
Beginning with verse 14, let me read. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. Who do you suppose you is? Well, I, I think it's you. You there is the Greek word for you. It stands for you guys. Actually, you as believers, Christ followers, did you know you're a light? Some of you looking at yourself going, I didn't till now. Thanks for that, Pastor. You're a light. Supposed to be a bright light, shining in a dark world. You're also something else. As a church, we're supposed to be a city on a hill. You know, if you take L.A. and put it on a mountain, it's going to be hard to miss, isn't it? I mean, no matter what, you, you, no matter how you try to avoid it, unless you are blind, you're going to see it. In fact, the city on a hill can't be hidden. It can't. It's impossible. So let's get back to the fact that there's 1,100 churches in Charlotte. Listen, 2,000 years ago, 11 guys, because Judas doesn't count, changed the world and started the greatest movement of all time. And yet, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm not trying to, trying to attack churches, but this is why I think we need a movement of God now, not another church, because there's 1,100 churches, not 11 people, 1,100 churches with probably more than 11 people in them, and we can't even change the face of Charlotte. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. I want my life to count. I want to make an impact for God. I believe that you do too, and we can, but we're not right now. We're not right now. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. Let's continue. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. You don't turn on a lamp at home and then put some dark blanket over it. You put it on a stand. You put it in a strategic place so it throws a lot of light all over the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and you can brag, right? No. So that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father which is in heaven. So why are you supposed to shine as a light? To give glory to God. Really? I don't know if that sounds that much fun, Pastor. Well, stick with me. It's kind of fun. If you really know what you're doing here. Let me give you the pastoral paraphrase of that. You were created to make an impact. Okay, especially if you're a Christ follower and you're not making an impact, something has gone wrong in your life and you better turn it around. But here's some really good news. Even if you don't know anything about God and you're just kicking the tires and checking it out, even if you're an atheist, even if you don't want to accept this, you were created to make an impact for God. You maybe just don't know him. And the scary thing is you maybe never will make an impact, but that doesn't change the fact that we were created in God's image to reflect him, to make an impact. Again, if that's what we're created for, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if we did it? Wouldn't it be great if we did it? Now, you ever notice how some Christians try we make an approach as, as churches, as Christianity as a whole. It's kind of a, kind of a way we do it in America that's sometimes a little embarrassing. We look at the world and we go, well, I can't really come up with anything on my own. I can't really figure this out. So let me sort of imitate the world and see what I can come up with. And we end up doing it in a sort of a cheap, cheesy way. Uh, I mean, the world's got the Avengers and we have Bible Man. I mean, you see this big contrast in what they have and what we have. They got Kiss. Anybody ever used to listen to Kiss? Come on, raise your hand if you ever listened to Kiss. The rock band, all the makeup, high heels. Raise your hand, be honest, stop lying. Okay, you know what? The more I press, the more you confess. I've noticed that. So I'll just keep pressing. The more I press, the more you confess. Okay, some of you, they have Kiss, which, like it or not, that was like the king of the makeup, you know, glamour bands, whatever you want to call it. They have Kiss. We had Striper, all right? Stripes, most of you probably never even heard of Striper, but it's like the Christian version of Kiss, the Christian makeup kind of band. So we look at that and go, that's cool. Let's do it. The same thing. But we're not leading, we're copying. I mean, they have Finding Nemo. Took years to make. Look at that. We have, we have VeggieTales, right? Some of you are like, hey, whoa, 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 careful, Pastor. You're picking on Larry the Cucumber. Those are fighting words right there. Listen, I'm really not. My kids grew up watching VeggieTales. That's great. But instead of coming up with something incredible, we go, man, that really worked. The world really liked that. Let's see what we can do. Fine, but why aren't we leading the way and the world chasing after us? Why aren't we being such a light that they're going, forget this hopeless stuff. Let me follow them. And then us leading the way to God. Let me explain it this way. You ever seen a t-shirt that says, got Pepsi? Got Sprite? Because I haven't seen that. You know Why? Because they're smart enough and big enough as companies to not get sued and to know that somebody else already did that. It's called Got Milk. Milk did that. So they're not going to look at that and go, mm, that's an incredible campaign. Wish I'd have thought of that. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just stick our name in there. Got Pepsi? No, it doesn't work. They're going to try something different. All right? So Milk already did that. Got Milk or, or uh, as Julian Smith would say, got Malk. 
Ask your teenager what that is, right? That's the real pronunciation for milk. So we imitate. And a lot of Christians will put up t-shirts. Here's some of the imitations. I'm going to offend some here, but I'm an equal opportunity offender. So here it comes. You ever seen the t-shirts that say, got Jesus? Got Jesus? It's getting kind of quiet in here, which means a lot of you have that t-shirt. That's depressing. If you do, bring it to Impact. We'll give you a cool Impact t-shirt and we'll get rid of that one, okay? Don't imitate. How about this? I've seen this more than once, I'm ashamed to say. Well, I didn't do it. I'm not ashamed. But here is, uh, I, I, loved, I love Napoleon Dynamite. I've seen t-shirts that say vote for Pedro. That's kind of cool. But I've also seen this. Jesus died for Pedro. No, he didn't. Pedro's a fictional character, okay? Jesus didn't die for Pedro. And when we do that, I look at that and I go, oh. And I've seen it. The first time I saw it, I was squeamish like, that's so cheesy. Around the fifth time I saw Jesus die for Pedro, I wanted to die. You know, for all the cheesiness that's out there. Is that the best we can do? Honestly, is that the best we can do? Matthew 5.14 doesn't say, you're one of the world's lighting methods. You're an incandescent bulb in a world of fluorescence. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you're a halogen in a sea of LEDs. It doesn't, doesn't say be a, be a little brighter than this one. It says you're a light in a world that's completely dark. In a world that's trying to have the answers. And they've got some lighting methods, but they don't work. Be a light. And do you notice that you can go, anybody ever been like, you know, into where you can visit the underground, the caves? Ever been in a, is, any, seen any kind of cave thing where it's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face? Just for fun? Have you done that? It's creepy. It's kind of, especially if you're claustrophobic. It's really scary. But you know what? If you just flicked on a lighter in there, that thing would light up the whole, you know, a pretty big area for just a little lighter. Because in darkness, light has an incredible impact. So imagine if you lit up something even bigger, even a brighter light, how noticeable it would be. We are to be lights in a sea of darkness. Now, the brighter we are, the greater the impact. The greater the shine, the more powerful the impact. Okay, please don't hear this. Look up here. I can see you guys, so I know if you're not looking. Barely, it's kind of dark, but I can see you. This is, when I say the brighter you shine, this is not a call to be a Christian nutball, okay? Like some interpret, this is not a call to be the people at Westboro Baptist, okay? We're not supposed to shine like that. This is not the idea that as a light, we're supposed to shine or stick out like a lava lamp or something that's weird. You know how Christians are kind of, sometimes they, they stick out because they're embarrassing. We're supposed to stick out because we have hope, because we have the love of Christ, because we have the gospel, because we, we have the power that can transform. That's attractional. That's impactful. Okay? And please hear this too. I'm not attacking the fish on the back of your car. That's not what this is about. I'm not, I'm not going after your WWJD bracelet, so you don't have to panic there. But don't miss the point. Please don't miss the point. Sometimes we can get a little offended and miss really the meat of the message. The meat of it is we shouldn't be imitating. We should be influencing. Isn't that right? We shouldn't be imitating. We should be influencing. Listen, we shouldn't be as Christians herded into following every little trend. We should be herding them. And look at what we do. Here's a lot of the students that we're doing. We shouldn't be picketers and protesters about, like on Wall Street, of the corrupt CEOs on Wall Street. You know, we should be the honest CEOs running Wall Street. That's the difference there with integrity and character. We shouldn't just attend rallies and form new parties that demand honest politicians. We should be the honest politicians. Do you see the difference? We shouldn't write letters to our congressmen, our senators, uh, demanding a defunding of the National Endowment for the Arts. We should just lead the arts. I mean, if we did it ourselves, then people that are putting together garbage or blasphemous or junky stuff would abandon that and come follow after the real stuff. Instead, we've, we've sort of retreated into a corner and we're throwing darts and, and attacking it. And gang, that's not being a light. I'm, I, don't you kind of grow weary? Are you with me on this where you grow weary about churches and Christians and believers that are always about everything we're against? Hey, in case you want to know, here's what God's against. Hey, don't move. In case you want to know, he's against that. Hey, he's against that too. That's not attractional. Wouldn't it be great if we just showed the world everything that God is for instead, instead of everything that he's against and used our influence as believers for that? Do even three of you agree with that? Okay, three or four of you do. Well, here's the good news. I think that, that clap told me about seven. Seven of you agree with that. Here's the good news. You have influence. You can influence people. Absolutely, you can do it. And some of you I know are sitting there going, I don't feel like I have much influence. You're wrong. 
You do. You have a powerful influence. Everybody does. In fact, you're influencing right now. You're influencing today. The people around you, your family, whatever. Three ways. Positively, negatively, or neutrally. But you are influencing. In fact, let me read you a little story from Scripture. This is from Acts, the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Turn there to chapter 16. You can follow with me. Chapter 16, verse 16. Quickly go there. And I want you to just see what being a light can actually do. Not with people that already like you, but with people that even hate you. Watch this. Verse 16. One day, as we, this is Paul and Silas talking. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men, are serv- these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell how to be saved. Well, that's pretty good. Before they did anything, she said that. Now they had been there for days preaching so it wasn't that slick, it wasn't that big of a trick. But apparently she had some powers, demonic powers it says, for telling the future and so forth. Now this went on day after day after day until Paul got so exasperated with it that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas, and they dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace, and the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews over here is what they said about Paul and Silas. They shouted to the city officials, they're teaching customs that are illegal for the Romans will get mad if they teach. Now, the Jews didn't care about the Romans, but they, Paul and Silas had ruined their money-making scheme here. So a mob was convinced, which is that, and it quickly formed into an even bigger mob, verse 22, against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make, it, make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon inside the prison and clamped their feet into stocks and irons chains. All right, let's continue. Around midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Did you catch that? There's the light. I don't know how much darker you can get than prison, and I don't know how much darker you can get than in a dungeon, inside a dungeon. And they're chained to the most notorious, horrible prisoners. They've already been beaten to within an inch of their life, and with the strength that's within them, joyfully and real, not fake, they start praising God and singing. You know what? That's not, a, that's not literally a flashlight but it's a spiritual light to all those prisoners and the guards. They start looking at that going, you're, you're singing and you were just beaten and watch what effect it has. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. We sang this morning, break every chain and the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped so he drew his sword out to kill himself because that would have been a quick and a better death than the Romans would have given him or the Jews would have given him for letting these prisoners get away. But check this out. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Okay, First, they've been beaten. They've been ridiculed, scorned. A mob throws them in for something good that they did to help a young girl out that was being, that was being abused. And instead of getting mad and saying, God, you're mean to me and, and why have you left me alone and all this stuff, they sing praises to him and shout praises to him and they're happy and filled with joy and that's a light. And now, because they, want, because they care so much about that jailer, they're not even taking their freedom. They gather everybody and say, don't leave. There's been an earthquake and God's done this, but stay put because we want to reach this guy with the light he's just seen. So look what happens. The jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, the the jailer brings them out and he goes, what do I have to do to be saved? What caused him to say that? The light, right? The light in their lives. In a dark place, it shone so bright. It was such a contrast. It was such hope. It was so different that this jailer just said, there's nothing in my life that's ever offered. Nothing is as real as what I have just seen. What do I have to do to have what you have? I'd say Paul and Silas made an impact. What do you think? They made an impact. What do you think? Yes, they did. They made an impact. So how'd they do this? Well, gang, they did it in their circle of influence. And then Paul and Silas said to them, Believe in the Lord. How do you have an impact? How do you get saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your household will be saved. Now, please don't hear 
that, that when you believe, it's automatic to your household. Actually, for those of you that love to study a little deeper in the Greek here, that word for household is oikos, which literally means, I love this, it, it's literally translated those within your circle of influence, okay? So you and your circle of influence will be saved if you shine. That's what he's saying. Now that you're saved, you believe, you really trust and to prove it's real, it'll not just change your life, it should change the life of everybody in your circle. That's what that means. Kind of takes on different meaning in that passage that a lot of us are familiar with. Listen, every one of us has a circle of influence. And in fact, every one of us has three specific areas of it. And if you doubt right now, let me go over those real quick. And you'll see that I'm serious. You can have an influence. You can make an impact. The first one, write it down in your notes that we've given you. Here's the first blank. My peeps. All right? My posse, my entourage, my family, my friends, my fellow students, my coworkers, everybody. These are your peeps, okay? Now watch this. There is absolutely an expectation of God that you will have an impact on the peeps in your life. All right, some of you are going, I don't like them, and I didn't really ask for these peeps, and you don't like my family. Well, guess what? God puts you there and expects you to have an impact on the peeps in your life. Now, here's something I learned this week. I was, I was reading about, and this seems to get smaller and smaller, but psychologists, with all the technology and all the change and everything that has happened recently, they say, you know what? You can only really have a major impact in your life on about 12 people at any given time. You can impact others a little bit, but if you really want to have an influence, everybody has a circle of influence that's about 12. That's people that you spend at least an hour with every week. Those are the peeps, the real peeps that you, so at minimum, you can affect 12 people in your life. And so God puts you there and with those people, at least 12 of them, and you can choose to have an influence or not, positive, negative, or neutral, okay? You know what that means? Let's get to brass taxi. Your neighbors, some of you might be going, I don't like my neighborhood. I want to get another house in another neighborhood. You know, our house won't sell. We can't seem to do anything. I've been praying. God won't let us move. That's because God put you there to do something else. God put you there to reach your neighbors. And maybe when you're done, he'll move you to a new neighborhood. You're not in that neighborhood on accident. You're not around those people you work with on accident. Those are the people in your life on purpose, by design, so that you will have a positive influence on them. Mark 5, 19 says, go home to your family and friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done. This is in the New Century Version. How much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. By the way, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but dads, can I talk to you a minute? Fathers, the average father spends, on average, seven minutes a day with his kids. Seven minutes per kid. Hey, math whizzes, there's seven days in a week. Seven times seven is? No, it's not blah, 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 blah. What is it? Seven times seven is what? Well, you're like, we're English majors, Pastor, so this is a little tough. Give us time. Yeah, it's 49, right? You know what it tells me? For a lot of fathers, your own kids aren't even in your circle of influence. It's kind of convicting, isn't it? So you have a circle of influence. Maybe some of you need to shift who's really there. Maybe some of you need to open your eyes and see the peeps that are right in front of you that you can have a major, major impact on and make a choice to have that impact. Psalm, 97, Psalm 90, 17 says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Okay, you're not with your peeps on accident and you're not with your peeps to get by. You are with, or, or to just exist, or to just tolerate them. You're there to make an impact. And God wants to put his power and weight and the power of his Holy Spirit behind that impact. And when he does, gang, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's undeniable. There'll be no denying that impact if God's power's behind you. No one will ever question whether or not you made a mark. It won't be, for instance, like this. <laughs> I'm back there cracking up and I'm going, man, they're not laughing. Did you think that was serious? Some of you are going, I thought we were going to watch the whole movie. I mean, things going on and on. What was the part about the carpenters in the car, Pastor Rob? Uh, that didn't have anything to do with it. I just thought that was funny. I would throw that in there. But here's the part I hope you didn't miss. Little tiny David Spade can't really put much of an impact, much of a mark if he was actually to fight Chris Farley. And you saw that with his little punches, right? But guess what? When there's the power and the swing of a weighty thing like a two by four, what happened? It left a mark. Now, David Spade can get in that little restaurant. For some reason, I always think of this when I think of impact. And there's an undeniable mark on Chris Farley's face, right? 
He can play around and he can pretend, but pretty soon somebody somewhere, like the waitress, is going to notice. And gang, it's like that in Christianity. You can talk, talk, talk about how you want to make a mark, you want to make an impact. But guess what? If you are on God's vision, right, and you know his word and you're living his purposes, the world's not going to try and guess whether you're a Christian. They're not going to be going, hey, am I making a mark? I just want you to know in my life, I'm kind of working over here as a believer. Is it making a difference? They're not going to go, no, really? Not not here at school? Well, how about here in the neighborhood? No, I don't really see. How how about in the office? No, not so much. Not here, not here. How about right? No. There's going to be no David Spade denials. It's impossible because the light is so bright in Christ and the weight of the Holy Spirit behind it is going to make it undeniable. So that's the first one there. Here's the second one, my passion, my passion. Or actually, I think that's the last one. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know how you can make a, 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 an impact um, more, more strong, more powerfully is to do the things that you're wired for, the things that you love. Did you know that some people love some things and some people don't? I love to scuba dive, and I can describe how much I love scuba diving to some people who think it's dangerous and they'll see sharks down there and aren't, aren't really attracted to that or wired that way, and they'll just yawn and go, no, I'm not really into that, but I love it. You know, there's some people that love to sing because they are wired that way and they have the ability and the voice, and so they're up here praising and worshiping, and some people don't get into it as much. But imagine if you actually did what you're passionate about. That's kind of like throwing weight behind something. It'll make a greater impact. That's like swinging the two by four. That's huge. So some people are passionate about something. Let's take an experiment just to see. How many, raise your hand if you are, some people are passionate about living somewhere over somewhere else. Some people are passionate about hobbies over other ones. Let's do an experiment. How many of you are more of a beach person? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's huge. All right, okay, how many of you are more of a mountain person slash redneck? All right, because so there's so, I'm just kidding. Or am I? But there's, so there, I mean, there's different kind of people. Some of you get thrilled to go to the mountains. People are like, man, I just want to go to the beach. You're wired different. So maybe you ought to do something that has to do with living at the beach. So you're a little more fired up and more passionate about things. God made you that way for a reason. You want to make an impact that lasts for God's things? Then this verse says, delight yourself in the Lord. If you want to get passionate about God's things, then you're going to have to get passionate about God and the things God's passionate about. One thing he's passionate about, gang, is lost people. So if you're saved, but you don't care about everyone else, which is literally like saying the rest of the world can go to hell, I'm covered now, then you're not going to be passionate about the things about God. Now, how do you get that? How do you get passionate if you're not? Pastor Rob, how can I drum up or manufacture this? I don't know how to do that. Well, you can't. You can't feel your way, despite what Hollywood says, you can't feel your way into an action. I mean, if that were true, then they wouldn't keep getting married over and over again. Every time their feelings change, they do something. But God's opposite. He says, act a certain way. I'll bring the feelings. You can act your way into a, a feeling. And so he says, you know, if you want to get passionate about my thing, start coming to church. Start centering your life around me. Join a life group. Read my word to hear what I have to say. Pray to hear. I want to hear you talk to me, what you have to say. Start a relationship. Go deeper. And then don't be shocked if you love the things of God more later. It's kind of like Theodore Roosevelt said. You live this life and you're passionate. You love the Lord and people see your joy. But you're also courageous and you're also bold when you speak up. All these things combined. He said, walk softly, carry a big stick. Be joyful. Live the life. Be a light. But be prepared to open your mouth and talk and you'll have a great big impact. Matthew 10, 16 says, because I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. Okay, look, we got that. Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna give you four things that are so important because some of you right now, you know, unless you've been sleeping the whole time, that you were created for an impact. Okay, but you don't really know how. So I wanna leave you with right now with illustrations and, and, as, and as bluntly as I can, so you leave here starting to make an impact. So I'm gonna show you four practical ways that you can have a powerful impact or take the impact that you have now and drive it deep, okay? Here's the first one. Through our synchronization, you'll have a greater impact, as we'll have a greater impact as a church if we're united, if we're together. That's our harmony, our love, our unity. Together we have a greater impact. There's more power. John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If the world sees that we're all different and diverse and all, but yet we're working together in one common mission to lift up the name of Christ in love, that's powerful. 
That's powerful. And Christianity seems to be really the only deal where people from such tremendously different backgrounds can get together united in the vision all over the world and have that in common. It's powerful. I mean, when you're born again, when you become a Christian, you get a spiritual gift, at least once, one from the Lord. If you use those spiritual gifts with others in the body on one mission and one goal, it's powerful. Now, I've seen churches do that, and I've seen churches use their giftedness selfishly, and it can be the opposite. It can be chaotic. Together, it can be an unstoppable force. Selfishly, it can be chaotic. Now, I want to bring this one to life. So I got what I think is a pretty cool illustration. Several years ago, I saw something... uh, I think it was the, the special was called Lord of the Dance. And it was on a form of dancing that just, just took off, just blew up worldwide. It takes tremendous talent. It's very, very difficult. There's a million different levels of technical achievement that go with it. And I couldn't believe the beauty and the fluidity of this type of dance. I loved it. My wife and I saw, uh, saw this and just thought, man, this is, this is beautiful. It's incredible. And there was something about it even more so that, that spoke to me because I thought a lot of things I was seeing through it reminded me about the church and what it could be if it was more united and if we were more about things we're for instead of things we're against. So I'm hoping you'll pick up on this illustration on your own and you won't need me to coach you through it all the way anyway. See, the church, the bride of Christ, it is diverse, full of different spiritual gifts and all. And we have a choice to make. Is this mission bigger than us? Do we want to make an impact on Charlotte? Enough to where we'll overlook differences and we'll, we'll gel together to make one powerful strike on the city? Or do we want to just do our own thing and complain and tell everybody what we're against? If so, we'll be 1,101. It's another church. By the way, anybody curious what kind of dancing I'm talking about? I'm talking about Irish dancing. I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. Now, I called it river dancing and they threatened my life. So apparently you don't, you don't do that. There's a difference between river dancing and Irish dancing. There's river dancers and there's Irish dancers, just, just so that you know that. Irish dancing is, is even more technical and they're the ones that wear all the bling and the really cool stuff. So I want them, uh, well, I'm gonna show you uh, how beautiful this is. Oh, by the way, by I, I mean them. So, pretty cool, right? Now, believe it or not, I was supposed to be in that dance with him. No. <laughs> I hurt my ankle on the way back, so all the plans had to change just a little bit the last minute. Well, I once saw a documentary on that, not The Lord of the Dance, but another show about the styles and the different things that actually go into this. And alas, and when I saw that, I thought, man, my window of opportunity for being one myself is closing. But not only that, I realized it was probably never open, all right, in the first place. I can't do that. This stuff is very, very hard. And if some of you are going, eh, it not look that hard, I will call you up here and have you do it. <laughs> and you will see. And by the way, there's something about river dancing. Sorry, they didn't hear me. The Irish dance. Something about it that makes you want to try. So I've seen several of you, when you thought I wasn't looking, you are trying. And it's ugly. Don't do that. <laughs> take, take lessons first. Now, beautiful as that is. Do you want to see something that's not so beautiful about Irish dancing? Beautiful about Irish dancing? Just to be cruel. Take a look. Okay, I was going to stop you if they didn't. Hey, by the way, you in the orange, those are beautiful outfits. What's your name? Sophie. Was that the sprinkler that you were doing there? That's pretty good. Okay, see, see, I promise you there's a lot of talent on that stage, but if they just get out there and take their dancing ability and do whatever they feel like doing, it's ugly. If you take your giftedness, it's still cute. But if you take your giftedness and you say, you know what? Heck with the vision. Who cares about what the church is doing here? I want to do it my way. And we all as believers do our own thing. It's ugly. It can really be ugly. There's a power, however, gang, a beautiful power 
about unity that makes our impact even greater. And in fact, do you know why river dance? How bad is my punishment going to be? Uh, Irish dancing? Let's just call it Scottish dancing and see how mad they get. So, do you know Irish dancing? Do you know what made it really take off? The reason it's around, and they have like the world championships. I think this year it's actually going to be in Ireland. And they're expecting like 20, 30, some thousand people to come and compete in it. Not watch it compete. It's crazy. How many people will show up for this? Not crazy, beautiful. Uh, How many people will show up for this? It's taking the world by storm. Now, here's why. When if you've ever seen a show, or, or, or go ahead and look on YouTube when you get home today and see how, how technical and beautiful this is. They'll have individuals come out and do their thing. Then they'll have couples come out and do this partnership thing that looks beautiful together. Then they'll put a whole line, sometimes I've seen like 50 of them lined up. And they're doing this in unison. And the fact that they can do this technical stuff and nobody misses a beat and it's beautiful like that just blows people away. I'm seeing them just get standing ovations on that because of the unity is even more powerful. So take a look at what it looks like when people with varying degrees of ability and all and newness and maturity do this in unison. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that beautiful? And I mean, I, I, honestly, it got better. And be- well, the middle part was a little questionable there, but obviously the last one was even more powerful, even more impactful because they were together. I didn't see them miss a beat. Not a bit, not, and that's very technical, but they always landed on the right beat and they always did everything in unison and that makes it even more powerful. It's probably why they kicked me out of their group and didn't want me to ruin that whole thing. Well, gang, let me ask you a question. What is synchronized swimming without the synchronization? It's like an all-swim at a public pool. It's just chaos. It's nothing. It's ugly, right? What is, what is figure skating, couples figure skating, without synchronization and being in unity there? It's like an all-skate at Kate Skate in junior high, isn't it? It's just a mess, and people are fumbling around. It's the synchronization that takes something that could be cool and makes it super cool, makes it super impactful. So that's the first practical thing we can do as a church to be different. Be in sync. Be in unity. It's what Jesus prayed for in the real Lord's Prayer. By the way, the real Lord's Prayer is not our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. The real Lord's Prayer is found in John 17 when the whole chapter just about is the Lord praying. Do you know what he prayed for more than anything else? I'll give you a hint. Verse 23 of chapter 17. I am in them, Father, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What will the world know if we're just together on mission? That this thing is legit and that God loves them. That's the power of unity. There's the power and a beauty in it. Worth it? Jesus thought so. Apostle Paul thought so too. Uh, Look at Philippians 2, 1 through 3. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Why? Because that's powerful. That's how you take your little shining of a light and make it bright, make it a supernova in your life. So that's the first one. The second thing, and let me quickly get through these and then... We're done. The second thing is our style. Another way to say this is our demeanor, our our, our mannerism. You know how there are some people in life that you really want to be around, you really like, and then there's some people that are like a people repellent? And you're just like, man, I don't want to be around you. Well, that's usually their demeanor. And I mean, most people that are people repellents don't want to be that way. They'd like to change, but it's kind of difficult without the love of Christ in your heart, without something to be joyful about. But having the right demeanor And having joy, especially in trials, is powerful. So working on that in the Lord is one way you can have a greater practical but greater impact. And I'm not going to go into all the ways, but let me say this. That story I just told you about Paul and Silas, their demeanor was wonderful even though they were beaten and imprisoned. You see how powerful that is? Your demeanor is a huge thing. Your style is a huge thing. In fact, the first church, when it first existed, is found in Acts chapter 2. 
uh, verses 46 through 47. It says they were doing this. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Right, because their demeanor was good and they were in unity, everyone. That's not just people who liked them anyway. That's people that hated them. They were getting even favor from those people because what they had was so powerful and so real. Here's the third thing, our second. Oh, you know why I chose this word second? Because I had S's going here and I needed an S. But that's a terrible word. Really, it should be our moment, our, our opportunity, our time. Instead of thinking of the things that happen in your life as a, as a pain in the neck or, or if you're maybe on an airplane and the person sitting next to you starts sharing other problems and you're going, man, I just wanted to sleep. Look at it this. There's no moments that are an accident. Everything's ordained by God. You may think, no, nah, there, now nah, I control my own steps. I booked this flight, not God. I, I do what's in. Listen, Psalm 37, 23 says the steps of a good man are ordered by God, even a good man. They're ordered by God. You might think they're your own, but they're God's. Proverbs 69 says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So take your seconds in life, your moments in life, and what do you think happens to your impact if you start viewing them as, you know, that's not just your waitress. This is your 10 minutes with that woman or man to make an impact. You're gonna interact with them anyway. Shouldn't it be positive? Now, if you start viewing all the moments or all the seconds of your life as being ordained by God, then all of a sudden, you're probably gonna have a greater impact. And you're not gonna be so frivolous with the moments in your life because you know moments here now and then it's gonna be gone. And then finally, and the most powerful thing practically that we'll end with is our story. Our story. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope that you have within you. You have a message to tell. The most powerful, beautiful message ever. Not, not the, the bullhorn guy going, turn or burn, you're going to hell, you're going to die, you're going to... That kind of guy, that's not the message Christians are to tell. Not the Westboro Baptist nutball. That's not God's message. That's a message of hate. It's not from God. And not the billboards. You ever seen these? You ever seen billboards at, at some churches that just seem, oh man, do you realize how that sounds? Here's two. I'll just give you two. Here's one I saw. Google can't satisfy every search. No, it can't, but that's cheesy. All right, here's another one I saw. This just, I kissed a girl, it's on a billboard at church. I kissed a girl and I liked it. Then I went to hell. Wow, that's, that's deep. That's also so stinking stupid, cheesy, and offensive that no one's gonna be drawn into the light with a statement like that. You have a message to tell, and it's not that. And it's not the picketing nutball Westboro Baptist people who go to funerals and make fun of the people. Our message is one of, of beauty and, and of life change and of transformation that I talked about earlier and of hope in a world that, that's dark and has none. Our message, like I said earlier, is to be what we're for and what Jesus is for that can change your life, not a list of everything God's against. There's nothing attractional about that, nothing light about that. Seriously, I, I once had a person ask me, um, when I was going to do a message. When are you going to do a sermon, Pastor, against homosexuals? Not kidding. Against homosexuals. First of all, probably around the 12th of never, I'll do that. Because we don't preach against people. We preach against sin. And you know what? God loves the sinner. Haven't you, didn't you know that? He loves the sinner. It's the sin that destroys our lives and hurts us that he doesn't love because that's missing his mark and his glorious idea. But I don't preach against people. I preach against the things that are hurting them. That's not what I said to them. I think my exact answer was, right after I do one on hypocritical, fake, unloving, judgmental Christians like you. I'm trying to, trying to remember it as best I said it. Now, they were looking for a church and they kept on looking. So they did not stay. Um, King, I got a challenge for you, actually. Find that bullhorn, everything he's against, God hates message by Jesus in here. I'll give you $100. I've never lost money with that message, by the way. You know why? Because it's not in there. It's not in there. Jesus did not rail against people. He did not, he did not scream at them. Now, I know there's always a wiseacre that's going to go, I guess you're not reading the Bible. He did that with the Pharisees all the time. Again, the Pharisees are the bullhorn guys. Okay, that's different. But lost and hurting people living in darkness who don't think they're perfect, who, don't, who know they don't have all the answers, he came and died for them, for me, for you. He came and died for you. 
He did all that because he loves you. Even when we're spitting on him, mocking him and nailing him to a cross, he still loved us. And he created you and me, all of us, for an impact. And this thing that's not a building but a group of people called a church is supposed to make an impact. That's why we want to think of this as a beginning of a movement, not just another church. Because listen, if the power and the weight of the Holy Spirit gets behind this thing, then we won't just change Charlotte as one church. We'll go beyond and, and, and we can start a revival. Oh, come on, Pastor, really? Yeah, it's happened before in this country. What do you think gets it started? There was one called the Great Awakening and there was another one called the Second Great Awakening. How did they start? Well, people looked around and, and at the church and looked around what was happening saying, there must be more than this. Let's start praying for the Holy Spirit to move. And they did, and he did. And gang, people have been praying for 10 months for this so that we could take a city that has the spirit of religiosity so heavy over it and bring something real that we'll all look at and just be blown away. And it won't be because of our talents and gifts, but it'll be because of our love and our unity and because the Holy Spirit is blowing through this place like a fresh wind and a fresh fire. I want that in my life. I know you do too. I know some of you probably heard little glimpses or pieces about impact and what it was gonna be and how it's gonna be different. And I encourage you to invite your friends to stick with this thing because you might've just stumbled onto a movement of God. In fact, I know you did. Let me say this. Some of you are gonna be tempted to look at your notes and go, okay, four steps, how I can have a greater impact. I'm gonna try this. You know, I've tried a lot of religions. Let me try this one. Can I just tell you, these aren't steps. Okay, it's not something you can follow a list with. The only way to have an impact for God is to know God and to have God living in your heart. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will be waiting right there to talk to you. And I'll wait as long as it takes. We're gonna have a couple people down front that'll be willing to pray with you so you can invite Jesus in your heart and start this journey for real. See, because without him, you're just playing at this thing. You're firing at a target that you think is the right one and it's not. Please hear me on that because if you leave here and you don't get that, then you didn't get the main thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing up today. Thank you for the privilege to partner up with you to make an impact on this city, Lord. Thank you that you use flawed people. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here, Lord. None of us would. Receive our gifts now, Lord, as we prepare our tithes and offerings to give back to not a church, but a movement of God, a movement for you to glorify your name. Help us to give generously, knowing that it's your stuff, not ours. And use it and multiply it, Lord. Help us to be bold and to open our mouths and speak out, Lord. May we start inviting people. And may you do what you did in the book of Acts. May you add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.